You're listening to Inspirational Decency, episode 878, Squirrel Nut Unzippers. Who am I? Kind of an impudent question, isn't it? You might want to learn your place, and learn it quick, son. Talking out of turn to a man in my position can land you in a hot, swirling mud bath of trouble, and that's one treatment that has no therapeutic value, hombre. Whatever. I'll let that slide this time. Be careful in the future, or you could get stuck with a bar tab of pain that you can't pay off because you don't have any cash for whoop-ass, and also your shit-kicking credit cards have been declined because they're maxed out, and you haven't paid the bills on them in months, which is directly related to your aforementioned lack of cash for whoop-ass. Anyway, now that I've made it abundantly clear how things are going to be, maybe I'll just go ahead and finally tell you who I am. I'm a park ranger. I know. Soak that in, why don't you? Just marinate in that for a good while. You're probably a little in awe right now, because the life of a park ranger is usually depicted in movies and rap videos as a non-stop woodland carnival, chock-a-block with champagne, sex, exotic drugs, weird donuts, Ukrainian baseball, which is just like regular baseball but with more vodka and less running, and perverse uses for expired baby food. That isn't quite the truth. The reality is that being a park ranger is even better than you've been led to believe. For instance, you probably don't know that if I flash my ranger badge at the front desk of the aquatic center, I'm allowed to drown a kid at random during the ten and under swimming lessons. Of course, there are a handful of popular kids who are exempt from being chosen, You don't know how lucky you are, nine-year-old Tristan Daniels. Plus, every Thursday night down at the Dumb Horse Tavern, I get to pretend I'm Steve Gutenberg, and everyone at the bar has to laugh at my scathing, yet affectionate portrayal of the 80s comedy star, howling as I invent anecdotes about pistol-whipping an electrician on the set of Three Men and a Baby, or bad-mouthing Jessica Tandy, as we've all dreamed of doing. A charmed life, indeed. But don't be misled. It's not a perfect existence. The perks outlined previously belie the fact that I have to deal with squirrels five days a week. They're vicious animals, infiltrating picnic baskets, stealing nuts from my personal doomsday stash, and ruthlessly mocking my young Republican dance party t-shirt. Then you've got the insects biting me, flying around my face, and going somewhere else to hang out after I leave the park, without even inviting me, even though I'm obviously a really nice guy, with a generous yet yet cocky personality, and hair that can make you forget your plumber's name. But I just chalk up both of those factors to the all-too-typical jealousy that accompanies this job. It's the same kind of jealousy that the makers of filthy camel chewing tobacco, 
Inspire and their competitors. With over six, but less than eight, delicious flavors to choose from, including raspberry mistake and lemon discharge, Filthy Camel delivers the kind of taste sensation one can only find in the absolute highest quality edible fiberglass. When the abrasive texture of their fine chewing tobacco rubs up against the inside of your cheek, making a small cut in the skin and pouring in tarry goodness, you'll be glad that you also have that fifth of Jim Beam to numb the pain of your prolonged downfall. Filthy Camel, we aren't not just for park rangers anymore. Frisbee. <laughs> Catch the frisbee. Frisbee. <laughs> I caught the frisbee. Good throw. Frisbee. Thanks, honey. Now throw back the frisbee. Frisbee. Okay, here comes the frisbee. Frisbee. Ooh, looks good. The frisbee's coming right at me. Okay, here it goes. Frisbee. What's wrong, honey? You dropped the frisbee. Frisbee. I stepped on a goddamn nail. Oh, goddammit. Frisbee. Okay, just calm down, sweetie. Don't, don't let the nail sense your fear. Frisbee. Oh, I'm pretty sure you're thinking of bears. Frisbee. Oh, well, what do they say about nails? You're supposed to take them out at the root, right? Frisbee. What? Oh, what the hell are you talking about? Oh, call an ambulance. Frisbee. Hey, you stop ordering me around. I'm not your secretary anymore. Frisbee. Okay, I'm sorry. I just, honey, I I need to go to the hospital. My foot is badly hurt. Frisbee. I cannot believe how bossy you are. I never should have forgiven you for letting me cheat on you. Good luck getting to your precious hospital with a bleeding foot and a bleeding soul. Frisbee. Oh, honey, don't leave me here to get gangrene and die. We're both too attractive for that. Frisbee. 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 Thank you for coming to the funeral. Obviously, none of us want to be here. And by that, I mean that most of us probably have something better to do. I'm right in the middle of a big project at work I need to finish soon. I know that some of you here are farmers with harvests to finish, and you're always busy dropping the G's from the ends of your words and living off the salt of the earth, which seems unnecessary given that salt now comes in bags. You're, you're aware of this, right? Has the town crier shouted this at you in the town square yet? Oh, calm down. Your pastoral profanity has a surprisingly urban flavor. Anyway, Fred, what can be said? The man is dead. Yes, I'm aware that rhymed, Reverend Berenson. No need to shake that at me. 
Fred was a gentle soul, provided that you didn't cross him. And by cross him, I mean disagree with him. And by disagree with him, I mean fail to agree with him energetically enough. As you all know, Fred demanded that you put so much effort into agreeing with him that you broke a sweat. And not just a single bead, either. He demanded a shallow pool of perspiration on your forehead. He would measure it by scraping a child's toy shovel across your brow, muttering, I cannot touch you, or your sickness will destroy me. And woe to you, of course, if you remained dry. This would result in the worst tongue lashing you'd ever receive. And that's no metaphor. He would produce from his pocket a long cow's tongue, given him as a gift at his baptism, dried and covered in metal studs. The welts that thing would leave often kept me up at night as I stared at them in the mirror and pretended they could talk. Also, uh, did he keep anyone else on a leash for a period of three months? No? Really? Well, uh, that was a joke. (laughs) No, it was. It was. Please put that away, Reverend Berenson. Another thing about Fred is that he was a family man. Actually, he was the family man, the notorious con artist that swindled several wealthy seniors out of millions of dollars by posing as a down-on-his-luck gourmet mud salesman with eight children and a wife with severe cafeteria. In any case, it is said that when he was busted for his crime, Fred looked right in the eye of the arresting officer, smiled, and asked, "'What color jockstrap are you wearing?' The officer instinctively replied, black, at which point all present broke into joyful gales of derisive laughter. That was the thing about Fred. Even in his moment of greatest shame, he could always find a way to humiliate someone else. That was what gave him his persistent, hateful vitality. I should add that the officer in question later shot an unarmed man at his daughter's high school graduation for making fun of his dungarees. Not sure why I told you that. Doesn't seem important. In closing, I'd like to share a personal memory of Fred that I'm sure some of you can relate to. Once, when Fred and I were working the graveyard shift at the graveyard shift, that club downtown that catered exclusively to grave diggers, closed after two months, he showed me the copy of Nude Mistake magazine he was reading during break. He held up a picture of a naked female, nodded lasciviously, then noted, Aw, yeah. I'll bet these could compensate for the lack of affection my mother showed me in my formative years. Man, I'd like a crack at these symbols of maternity. Hawaiian style. You get me, Frosty? He called me Frosty because, in his words, You're snow man. Get me, Frosty? In any case, I did not get him. But he got me, hundreds of times, with his cow tongue, in places I previously thought impossible. Goodbye, Fred. I will not miss you, just as your cow tongue never missed me. Well, well, well. Look who it is. I certainly never expected you back here anytime soon. 
not after what you did to Chauncey, my butler, or Chancey, my dog, or Chance, my electrician, or James Chance from the Contortions. You really did a number on all four of those beings. I hope you're proud of yourself. Uh, Certainly your swath of destruction was formidable and all too real. But uh, I might be willing to forgive you if you only offered a formal apology for the following things. First of all, you, I think you know full well that the ending to do the right thing doesn't go as follows. Oh, it sure is hot here in New York City. What a hot day. It's crazy how hot it is. Oh well, you know what that means. Time to throw a trash can through the front window of Sal's Pizzeria. And then after he throws it, Sal doesn't come out and say, Hey, I get it. You guys are alright with me. Free slices on the house for everyone. And then Ronnie Dangerfield doesn't show up with a keg of beer. And then a toga party doesn't break out. And then Ed Begley Jr. doesn't wander in as the stuffy dean and say, I thought we'd gotten rid of you, buying Geinken. And then Ronnie Dangerfield doesn't say, Hey. He doesn't, he doesn't say A. He doesn't say anything, really, because he's not in it. Um, he doesn't say anything more clever than that, either. That's just how the movie went. So, yeah, you know perfectly well that, you know, the, the movie doesn't end with uh, any songs from Trooper. Uh, especially not She's a Roller, or Boys in the White Bright Sports Car, or the Here for a Good Time, Not a Long Time song, or, uh, didn't they have a song that outlined how to make a pair of white jeans? Like, literally, they took you through, like, the sewing steps and the amount of denim you would need. It was kind of a boring song. But the riff was fairly catchy. It kind of went, White jeans. You need a tape measure of some kind, or else your legs are gonna be unequal. No one wants to walk around wearing jeans where one leg is longer than the other one. You're gonna look like a fool. You're gonna be the uncoolest kid in school. So listen to these instructions on how to make your own white jeans. First of all, you're gonna wanna measure your inseam. Because you don't want the crotch to be too tight. Gonna be zipper uncomfortable. And you don't want any unseemly bulges, especially if you're getting your picture taken for the yearbook. People are gonna remember that kind of thing. And at the 20 year high school reunion, people are gonna call you Bulgy Bob. And the memory of that humiliating time is gonna haunt you the rest of your years. 
and when you're on your deathbed, you're gonna look into the eyes of your nurse. You won't have any loved ones at your side because the humiliating bulge incident made you incapable of love. So you have no spouse or children. And you're gonna say, I wish I'd listen to that song by Trooper where they described how to properly measure the inseam of pants so there wouldn't be a weird-looking bulge. Then there's the sax solo that goes, Sax solo! And then there's the... They actually had a sitar on that song, and the sitar solo goes, and then uh, they had a piano riff. Um, I think that was courtesy of uh, who played the piano in the E Street Band? Was that G. E. Smith? I don't think so. Anyway, that that guy, he comes in, does the piano. Maybe it was Nils Lofgren. Might have been. And he does this piano riff, and it's a, really a great piano solo. It kind of goes and then uh, the end of the song it just goes don't buy your own jeans that it ain't that just ain't cool everyone's gonna think that you are a fool how to make white jeans we hope you learned that from this song that was kind of the only point of this song was to teach you how to make your own white jeans I suppose you could also use these instructions to make blue jeans, or possibly black. But we wouldn't recommend it. Because white jeans, let's face it, are the coolest jeans in the world. Um, what was I talking about before? Oh yeah. You, coming back here, with your mustache, and your mustache comb. I mean, the mustache is fine. But a mustache comb? Is your mustache really getting that out of control that you need to harness it? You need to groom it? You need to you need to rein it in with that mustache comb? Otherwise, it's just going to get in people's faces? <sighs> Brother, you're ridiculous. Anyway, I think that's our time's almost up for this week. But just remember, if you want to learn how to make white jeans, listen to this song. Goodbye for now. <laughs>